What's good, y'all? And welcome to the best interviews of 2020. And I'm going to tell I can tell you it's podcast special with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields. Here on this episode, we will go through and re uh, and replay uh, the best interviews of on this, on your, what I hope to be your favorite little sports talk podcast here on this uh, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day special. I will recap and re not recap, of course, it's not a game, but replay uh the best interviews that occurred on on this uh podcast from uh from start to finish from Jan- from January to December you'll hear guests like uh like Evan Cohen of SiriusXM, Christopher Medo Russo, poo YouTuber of a million plus subscribers, Professor, uh Mike in Orange County, the works will give them to you. And speaking of uh Mike and EOC and this is uh and this is a year that, uh, you know, this is what the third calendar year I've been doing this. I've been doing this for two years, but this is the third calendar year that I have been doing this show. And a uh, special thanks to you all out there in podcast land for listening. This was, and especially with the pandemic, you know, uh, shutting down sports for four months, you know, you need, I can only talk, I can only talk so much about uh, Black Lives Matter and the election and find old, uh, and, and, uh, and, Find old games to talk about and old documentaries. So, those of y'all that uh, that took the time and cared about me enough to come on the show over the last year, I deeply appreciate it, and I am in, in eternally grateful for it uh, from the bottom of my very heart. But when you have no sports, you got to uh, fill some time, and I got to get these podcast episodes out there to entertain you guys. Uh, you know, because Mike and the OC, I'm pretty sure, are sick and tired of listening to Dog mention Laurel Canyon for the nine millionth time this year. <laughs> laugh, that laugh, Mike, that was funny. Uh, so I had, so I had to get the, so I had to get some guests on. It got, it was very challenging, especially during the springtime. But uh, thanks you all out there that that came on the show and you all out there for listening, y'all made it work. But at the, at the beginning and the back end of the year, you had sports to talk about. And the biggest sports story outside of Kansas City winning the Super Bowl in the first two months of 2020 was the great legendary superstar basketball player that transcended basketball in Kobe Bryant and his unfortunate passing that occurred the final sad the final Sunday of January 2020. So who better to talk about the great Kobe Bryant than a lifelong member of, uh, not member, but a lifelong citizen of Los Angeles slash Orange County and diehard Laker fan from day one, the great Mike in the OC. You know what, Jai, the thing about being a Lakers fan and a Kobe fan, it's not even just Los Angeles. It's all the cities. It's, of course, by Staples Center, which you've seen on the news. You've seen on the broadcast. The incredible outpouring of love at uh, you know L.A. Live, all the memorials, but it extends all throughout Riverside County, Orange County, San Bernardino County, outlying areas, mm-hmm. then north, south, east, west. You're talking a hundred mile radius. Laker fans are all throughout Southern California, even down to San Diego. You know, so it's pretty amazing. Uh, the you know the grief that is felt. I've never experienced anything like it from somebody I didn't know, but I love the athlete. But it's it's this story, right, itself. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Kobe, one of the greats, his lovely daughter, his teammates, his coach, assistant coach. Uh, his, you know, his, another... da- his daughter's a spitting image of Kobe, Isn't Kobe she? too. Oh, which, my God. Just, that, that's what makes it just painful. And when I heard that when they died, like, Everything. she was in his, oh, my goodness gracious. I couldn't believe it just real quick on the on that. I was on, you know, last Sunday. I'm just kind of uh, trying to get a workout in on the treadmill, trying to stay in shape for 58 years old. And I'm watching college basketball. You know I me. Mean? I'm watching that. I almost tweeted Steve Torrey because it was Indiana basketball. And right. I get off the treadmill. I look on teams. He says, they, Kobe, they, helicopter. Indi- yeah, Indiana lost to uh, Steve. Steve's team, Indiana, lost to Maryland. Uh, they did. Look, see, I, you know, it's, I didn't even know what happened that day because I was so out of it after that. I get off and I look at my phone. My son's downstairs. He goes, Dad. I go, Adam. And the next thing you know, we're like, look. And next thing you know, there's a KABC report on Twitter, the local ABC affiliate. And they say, yes, it's confirmed. Kobe yeah. has died. And I literally, I started all, I, I kind of, my voice was quivering. I was so upset. I didn't just flat out cry yet. My wife is downstairs. And from there on, we were just consumed the by the Italian. news. The beautiful Italian. The beautiful Italian. Thank you so much. <laughs> she is. I don't know. Talk about 
Talk about uh, what's that called? Jai out kicking the out kicking the coverage. Out kicking the coverage. Oh my god, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's like I'm a 240 uh, utility guy, you know, <laughs> hoping to get up, and get get a couple swings, and she is literally, you know, a uh, you know first round draft pick, as it all five tool player. She's wonderful. Right. She's wonderful. Yeah, but anyhow, so we come down and right. Jai from there on, it was just non. I've been consumed, you know, by what happened and just the fact. It's Kobe, you know, uh, by the way, we have Kobe posters in the house. We have my son yeah. and I just put up a Kobe frame picture from game seven, 2010. Uh, he has one above his bed. And I told Adam this week, my sister got my son. My son played high school ball. And there's a picture of him shooting a free throw in high school. And she somehow got Kobe superimposed in back of him. Yeah. And this is and it's just beautiful. And I literally I had a couple of tears when I saw that recently in the house. But just the fact it was Kobe and his daughter everybody's from Orange County, Jai. You know how I love Orange County. I'm always yeah. talking about Orange County. The baseball you, coach. You, yeah, it's right. crazy. I go nuts You, want, you want me and Chris to move over there. I do want you guys out here. I'm always telling Chris, because he loves it when he comes here to Southern California. You can tell he's happy. He was bouncing around Anaheim a few months ago. I told him he should look me up for lunch. I would love for you to go to college out here. You know, I have Steve Torrey, get him to move out. I've lived here my whole life. You know, right. L.A., Orange County. So it was just everything about the story, Jai. Orange Coast College, where John Atabelli was a great baseball coach, four national yeah. titles. Uh, you know, his his daughter, who was a wonderful player, too, with Gianna and the Mamba team. And then right. another parent, a sister coach, Christina Man. Um, oh, God, what is her last name? Mansour. And they're having her memorial tonight in Huntington Beach, actually, at the pier. They had the Altabelli Alyssa's the other night in Newport Beach. So it's affected me in so many ways from the L.A. Lakers story, who I, belo- who I love, to the Orange County element of it. Every day I just wake up, uh, I can't shake it. I'm so sad. And I look in the sky, and the weather has been beautiful, Jai. Beautiful. And it's, so, it's such a sad irony that that took place on that day. So it's, it's been rough. It's been rough. It's been rough for everybody, I think, you know, that loved Kobe, loved basketball. Love life, love parenting. It's just a very uh, tragic story. Thanks again for Mike and EOC coming on to talk about the great Kobe Bryant. So like I said, the second biggest story in sports in on the front end of 2020 before coronavirus came to shut down and everything was uh, what we had left over of 2019, and that was the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. Uh, got in Kansas City to their first Super Bowl title in 50 years when they last won it in 1969. And Andy Reid breaking the curse of uh, of not winning a Super Bowl, the championship that's long eluded him and what is now his uh, esteemed Hall of Fame coaching career. And who better to talk about that than uh, the guy who we who I have had on this program time and time and time again debating uh football like uh, Stephen A. Smith and uh Skip Bayless back in the day. My pal, my buddy Brendan Dillon on the Chiefs winning Super Bowl fifty four. Mahomes is at the Super Bowl, not because of how he played specifically. He played pretty damn good some games. But his team as a whole, his defense, his other offensive weapons have played fantastic as well. It's not just because of him. A, a, a part of part of a big reason why Cam even got to the level that he got to is because he played fantastic. It was one of the best rushing performance for, performances overall for a quarterback throughout a whole entire season in the history of the NFL. Mah- Mahomes, Mahomes passing, yes, but let's let's not forget that passing also comes from uh, your wide receivers being open mm-hmm. and in areas, and let's not forget that Sammy Watkins and Tyreek Hill are freaks. They're, they're one of the best wide receivers in football. That's fair, but and, yeah. and, Ke- and Travis Kelsey's one of the best tight ends in football. I w- but I wouldn't say overrated. I'd I think say, he's overrated. I think he has a lot of weapons. I'd agree with saying overhyped. Overrated is a little strong. He, I mean, he. And did, then also they have a really really did. good rookie. Um, Wide receiver who's really good at punt returns. That Nicole Hardman. He, Hardman, he he's very quick and he's very good at punt returns. Like, Jai, it's it was set up in a way so that there's a ton of weapons on that team that he didn't have to play consistently good to win. You saw that in that game because you know what? It doesn't matter whether he plays good. 
Somebody like Damian Williams can pick him up and take him all the way if need be. I don't think he's as good as everyone says. I think that he works in that system fantastically because it's a good system. You see Mr. Mediocre well, that, Alex... Well, that, wait, 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 That goes back to Andy Reid's genius. Oh, exactly. Right we see Mr. Me- Mediocre Alex Smith tear it up and get all, get all those playoff games. Yeah, uh, and he's he, no offense to Alex Smith or anything, but he doesn't really show up um, like as a fantastic quarterback ever. Right. Um, yeah. he, he's he's definitely very talented and a very smart quarterback, but he doesn't have the intangibles to be fantastic anymore. He's old, right. Right. and he was old then when they got to the playoffs all those times. But let's just be frank here, Mayhomes. I just did it again. Don't even. Don't even. Don't even. Um. He's not as good as everybody says. He's very competent. He's very good. But let's not let's look back to all the other uh, air raid quarterbacks that came out of Texas Tech in the past, um, and also evaluate how they did when they were put on trash teams in the NFL. Did they do very well? The answer is no. They didn't. They're out of the league in the next in like three years. Mahomes is. In a large part of his success is attributed to the fact that he got put on the right team in the right time. He is that's, he he's he, he, he is he is no golden star. He is no world ending dude who did it all by himself. He is simply a quarterback in a system. Like a lot of quarterbacks. Let's not lie in the NFL. And that doesn't take it away from the fact that he made the accomplishment he did. But he is more a systems quarterback than an overall amazing quarterback like everybody says he is. Like Everybody's like, wow, he went, the, he went 16th. How, how could everybody miss such a good quarterback that low in the first round? I'll tell you, because he's a project. He's a total project. His intangibles are there, but he, is, he comes from an air raid offense. And his, his, his past quarterbacks who've worked in that offense have gone on to not be very good in the NFL. They needed time, and obviously he, he has the throwing intangibles, but... He, 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 he needs a good system to work out of because if he's not passing consistently, he's not going to be like a play-action quarterback. You know that. We all know that. Don't you, Jeff? Brendan with his uh, great insight, as always. So, Chiefs win the Super Bowl. Coronavirus hits. And there's no sports on television. And, you know, entire, you know NFL draft came and went. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins trade came and went, and it's like you know what do you ever talk about? So, and I have, and he, and it's, and this guy, this next guest who I'm going to unveil here that came on the show this past year, uh, is very close to me. One of my, uh, one of my, uh, I consider him a a friend of mine. One of my, uh, one of my, uh, I guess you could say, extended tree branch uncles. I guess if you could, if I could, uh go as far as to say, and he's been begging me to come on the show ever since football season of 2019 when he knew that I had a podcast when I was a uh, fourth-string wide receiver for the Archbishop Curley Varsity football team. None other than head coach Brandon Ireton to talk about his start in coaching and coaching during the coronavirus. Now, keep in mind, the first part of this, uh, the fir- he's been on twice this year. First part of, of what you'll hear is from back, I believe, in April of this year. And the second part of what you'll hear, he was uh, the interview that he, that happened when he came on back in the beginning of December. But Coach Iverson, nevertheless, take it away. So when when my dad was done with coaching at John Carroll, there was it was kind of up in the air what I was going to do after that. Like, I didn't really – like, I was still young. I think I was 22 years old. Um, I didn't know, like, the coach, the people in the coaching world that well. And it just so happened that Coach Jeff got asked to be a JV coach at Curly, And he called me up and asked me if I wanted to come along. And I said, you know what? I said, I want to keep coaching. So I, I tagged along. And so that mm-hmm. was my second year coaching was my my start of the my first tenure at Curly. I did um, mm-hmm. first year I did an assistant on JV. My second year we did I started off on JV as a defensive coordinator and then we had a coaching change. So then mm-hmm. I got took over the varsity defense, I think, three games into the season. Um, so I'm mm-hmm. probably 23 at this time. Get my first varsity defensive coordinators you know, opportunity. Um, and to be honest with you, that kind of like, 
that year, I think it was 2009, that season really kind of, in my opinion, in my eyes, developed me as a coach. Um, our varsity team was struggling. We had um, we had some guys that were brand new varsity guys. We had a lot of um, we had a lot of potential, but they started off the varsity started off really rough that year, and they couldn't. It was kind of like in a spiral that they couldn't get out of. And first game up, right? We won, but it it was a struggle the rest of the year. So we that team started off zero four. I came up. I think we won the first game, and I think we won three of the last six or something like that. And um, mm-hmm. and we we pretty much returned the whole team the following year, so we knew it was going to be a big off season. So, as a coach, I was getting really into it. I was getting more into it. Um, so I pretty much decided that I was going to do whatever I could to make this, you know, a uh, long time thing of mine. So I, I dedicated that whole off season after two thousand nine to making myself a better coach. And I put everything I could into it. And, um, you know, we had a really good year. I think we won nine. We, we tied a tied – in 2010, we tied a uh, school record with nine wins at the time and, and ended up winning the first playoff game in school history. And uh, we lost the championship by a touchdown. But that's when, like, to me, it was like, man, I, I really want to be a head coach at the high school level. And um, so I did one more year at Curley after that. So I did four total years at Curley, then got a head coaching opportunity at Kent County High School. It's a public school in Eastern Shore. I think I was 26 at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a program that was struggling. And they had won, I think, honestly, I think they had won three games in three years before I got there. And it was, it was a team that had a lot of history back in the 90s and the late 80s where they had won two state championships, I think 88, 89, and was a runner-up in 96. And – when that coach stepped down, they had a big drop off. And it had been like 17 mm-hmm. or 18 years where, um, you know, they, they had losing records. So I took that job and we did really well. We, we kind of built it from the bottom up. We had uh, put together some really good coaches, had some really good players buy into what we were doing. And, um, and then by, the fifth year that I was there, so I was there for six years. And the fifth year I was there, we uh, we won a regional championship. So it was like the first regional championship they had they had won since '96. We also won the first playoff game. My third year was like the first one in like 20 years or something like that. So um, and then when we beat, we won the regional championship. We beat Cambridge, and that was like the first win over Cambridge High School in I think 27 or 28 attempts. So that was like that was kind of like our mountaintop that we had to get. And um, so after that, I kind of we um, my wife and I we had our first daughter, our first baby, and uh, we started to to shoot kick around the idea of getting back into the area. Um, and luckily, you know, Curly had a position open up, um, and it, it just worked out. You know, I had some other opportunities to interview at other places. And, but it, I mean, it didn't work out. And in, in, in my opinion, it worked out the best for us. So we just ended up being a curly and, and um, just spent some second year there. We, they, we weren't sure that we were going to have a season or we we're going to have a spring season or whatnot. But, you know, at the end of the summer, um, things were looking better in the state of Maryland as far as numbers at that time. Um, so the schools tried to get together and, and tried to make something happen. Um, as far as the league schools and, you know, unfortunately we, we probably, we probably started later than what we, we should have. I think if we would have started a little bit sooner, we probably would have, I think we would have played more games, but, um, but, you know, we're just fortunate to like get the practice time in to develop some of the younger guys um, and, and to give the seniors a couple of games at least to get them on their way out. So, um, so I, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to like, I always look at the glass kind of, half full right so like you know i was fortunate we, to be honest with you it felt great to be back out with the kids and um to get some football going and we did we what we could do right so and we had a big win against our rival john carroll which is which is always a big one for us and i, I think you know since i've been here we've beaten them two out of three times and then you know we've beaten them five out of the last six, six years so um, so that was a pretty big win for us and a huge comeback win at that. And they got a kid that's going to Maryland. It's pretty high profile player. So that was, uh, 
pretty big deal. The guys, you know, they um they fought hard for the, the entire game and and they give credit to the kids, man. They never gave up and kept playing. And then um we played against St. Mary's our last game and we didn't play as well um as as we would have liked and, and they ended up beating us but I think it's one of those things too where like if you play a team like 10 times you're probably we're probably splitting the games you know so had we played better I think we you know hope the outcome probably in my opinion would have been a little bit differently but you know they played well for four quarters and we didn't so um you know so we didn't we didn't come out on top so but you know, we're doing a makeshift senior day tomorrow, actually, for our seniors. We're trying to do some pictures and stuff like that in the in the bowl. Um, have their families socially distanced and everything. But I want to give the seniors one last chance, you know, on the field in their in their uniforms and get pictures and, and give them a proper send away. So not, not the season that, you know, we wanted, but, you know, still some good things happened. And we made the most of it. Um I still believe we're heading in, the, in, in a good direction as far as the program. Uh, we have a chance of having nine or ten kids out of this senior class go to play college football, which could be a curly record. Um, even the 2014 team that had a lot of kids, uh, we still got a chance of beating that. So getting just working right now and getting the recruiting part and finishing up that. But, you know, that was pretty much the gist of our, uh, of our season. It was, it was here. We were excited. It was gone quick. But um, – you know, there were there were some so there were some good moments to look back, even though we didn't, you know, get a full season. That I mean, that John Carroll win is, I think, was great. So um, that's that's probably a memory the guys won't won't ever forget. Thanks again to uh, Coach Arrington for coming on. So my next guest, yes, I said guests plural, is a set of brothers who one of which who helped me make the 2019 Archbishop Curley Varsity football team being a five-star uh, Division One recruit to the uh, VMI v Virginia Military Institute, who is, as I like to call him, a hard-hitting white boy that played safety and a, who also guided my school, the Friars, to their first basketball championship since 2001. None other than the great Josh Knapp and his older brother Brandon of the St. John's Red Storm, who he is a part of their soccer team up there in New York. They joined the program to talk about their kinship as brothers and what fuels their competitive drive. Yeah, um, I wouldn't really say it would be one person specifically, not one player that I looked up to. I mean, I, st I still look up to a lot of players, but not specifically one person. Um, definitely my family, coaches, and teammates really, you know, push me every day. Um, I think Josh is a big part of it, too. I mean, we used to battle like crazy outside playing when we were little, playing football, basketball, all the sports. You know, there was always a competitive nature between us, and we kind of always talked about, you know, playing sports when we were older. You know, we both grew up. We are really good, good athletes, so we kind of always knew we were, would probably play a sport in college. Um, but just growing up like that, like I said, with him and then my family, my dad, it's a big, big uh, part of it too. My mom also played uh, Division One uh, lacrosse, so that was that was something too. But, you know, then just my coaches and teammates, really, we were, I was playing on one of the top teams in the nation. So, I mean, most of the guys on my teams went to play soccer somewhere in college. So that's about it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Josh, what about you? Um, you know, pretty much the same type of thing. Um, I don't know if really like one specific person, just a lot of things. Uh, big thing was obviously having a brother that was close to my age. Obviously we got to play every day. We were always outside, um, competing with each other. Um, but, uh, you know, just, I think a big thing was my junior year. Uh, I, I wasn't really like, I, I was planning on playing lacrosse in college um, for a while, honestly, until junior year. And then after that football season, um, the coaches pretty much told me I, I have a really good opportunity to play at a high-level football school. Um, so, you know, I worked really hard. Um, that was a goal of mine. And, you know, I always had the goal, of the dream of wanting to play in the NFL, you know, like a lot of kids do. And I, I really wanted to always play at a high level in whatever sport I was going to play in college. But, um I, uh, I decided to really work hard and uh, take the next step. And then I was able to get recruited by a lot of Division One schools, just talking to a lot of schools. And then VMI offered, and I went on the visit and committed. So 
Thanks again to the Nat Brothers for coming on. So you fast forward about a month. Again, still no sports on, no baseball, no basketball, no hockey for crying out loud. And of course, during the summer months, football is in the off season anyway. And I need guests. I need to continue to create content and to produce episodes for you guys. And I need guests. And I've pretty much at that point in time went through my portfolio of guys who are close to me and who I know and who I've interacted with on a day in day out basis. My goal was to find someone who is familiar with this next guest that lives outside of the state of Maryland or outside of Baltimore County. So I went to Sirius XM's Mad Dog Sports Radio personality co-host of Morning Men, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio Channel 82, none, none other than Evan Cohen, who came on the program to talk about racial injustice. Listen up. So I think one of the things that I have noticed over the last month or so is a problem and, a, and with the way in which me and others who look like me have been saying that we have a real problem with police brutality, racism, and social justice in our country over the last month. And I think it's kind of laughable to say it that way because we've had that problem for hundreds and hundreds of years. Right. And I think what has happened over the last month, tragically, as a result of a tragedy, has been the first real attempts at steps, learning, and knowledge of my lifetime and I am 39 years old, I could sit here and say I'm open-minded. I could sit here and say I'm inclusive, but actions speak louder than words. Right. And what I'm aware of and what I know I need to know more of is, honestly, I can't, I've never walked in your shoes. Right. And walking in your shoes, tragically, is a lot harder than walking in my shoes. That those who are out there that would judge people by the color of their skin mm -hmm. would and could look at someone that looks like me as some way better than someone that looks like you. And that in itself is tragic. And I think if the ultimate one day hopeful good that comes out of this is that we somehow go back to, as I've said on the air, the playground where my kids who are six and four can go to the playground and play with kids and they have fun and they don't realize what race they are, what gender they are. They don't care. It's just, are they, is that kid fun to play with? And at some point we all um, get away from that or stay with that. Right. It's either right. that, that playground mentality of, I don't, you know, and I'm bringing up race in that I obviously, I know, you look differently than I do. You know I look differently than you do, right? So I'm not against bringing up race because I think race is important to understand history and understand where people come from and mm -hmm. and uncontrollable elements of life, right? Like I didn't ask or choose to be white. You didn't ask or choose to be black. It's just what it is. And like we bring it up in a way that, hey, look, these are like anybody who's listening to this hopefully can listen in a way that here are two people that come from different walks of life that are, what, 21 years apart in age yeah. that can still have a civil, happy, hopefully funny conversation that puts smiles on people's faces. And, like, if that can ultimately come out of this, it's not worth taking lives. It's not worth police brutality. It's not worth, worth treating people worse than. But if somehow, finally, the world has learned that we, we could say, oh, no, I'm inclusive and I love everybody. Well, yeah, I mean, actions speak louder than words. And I know that mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't have um, any kind of say over hiring and firing and building anything at SiriusXM other than the content of the show that we host in the morning. But I mm -hmm. can tell you that we as a company at Good Karma Brands, uh, where I am the vice president of content, and you mentioned ESPN West Palm, we have failed for a long time. We've noticed that. And we have taken more steps in the last month than we've taken in the last few years. And that's both great and sad at the same time. But it doesn't matter that I'm actually saying it. 
because actions will speak louder than words. And I am hoping that all of our actions will speak loudly. I mean, I know that I have taken in more um, content. Um, I just finished an audio book. Um, so you want to talk about race, um, you know, like over the last few weeks and training on, on inclusion and diversity and understanding, um, mm -hmm. over the last few weeks, I've taken in more of this than I have my, in my entire life. So I could sit there and say like, no, no, I've been inclusive. I've been open-minded. I, I don't know that I have been, you know, and I'm just going to be honest mm -hmm. about that. I haven't been exclusive, but I don't know that I've been inclusive. And I think that, uh, again, it should not take a death. Of, an, of a man in order for this to happen or death of anyone in order for this to happen. But my mm. hope is that we all kind of learn that none of us have been good enough that look the way that I look. Thanks to the great Evan Cohen for coming on. So I so that interview went well. One of the, uh, at the time, the most episode listened of my, uh, of my young uh, sports podcasting career so i thought well if i can get if i can get this quote-unquote a-list guest on why can't i get another one so i reached out to one of my favorite youtubers courtesy of ian for inter introducing him to me shout out to him and that's youtuber profession with 1.1 million subscribers famous for raging and screaming and yelling and breaking things uh raging at uh we at we sports and we sports resort games and and Tomodachi life and all that sort of stuff is concerned. Very popular guy. Got high, got views in the hundred thousands. I could use some of that clout, and I've developed a little bit of a kinship with them uh, on the you know via the Twitter DM. So I reach out to him. I say, hey, poof, care to come on? He came on back in uh, back in late July. He came on to talk about his rage up how you know his uh his raging throughout his videos whether it's re whether it's fake or authentic talking about his raging during his videos him breaking things and his celebrity crushes and his answer might surprise you say my rage just gets the best of me uh you know i have a good idea when i go to play we sports or we party except one of the first times i played like we party and stuff i had no idea but when I when I go in to play them now, I know there's a chance I'm going to get mad at the game, but I don't know what it is that's going to piss me off. Like yesterday's mm -hmm. video, I don't know if you watched the tennis. One, I saw it. I saw it. Yeah. I didn't. I thought it was going to be a lot easier, and mm -hmm. that's what caught me off guard and made me really mad. Uh, is that I thought I'd have a really easy time with that one, and I didn't, and that pisses me off. It's almost like what pisses me off the most is I have a plan when I go in that I'm going to knock mm -hmm. these out pretty quick. And do them all in one video. Get it all in one video every sport. And then right. I struggle like that on tennis. And that pisses me off. Because my plan, my thought was, I'm going to have this all in one video. But because right. I struggled so much in tennis, I'm like, God darn it. I have to now make, <laughs> yeah, I could have said other words. But now I have to do this in a longer setting and right. I have to do multiple videos. This isn't mm -hmm. what I wanted. And that's, that's I think, what helps fuel. Not only is just the, I think it is complete crap, a lot of the things that happen. But I also the have this plan in my head of what I want the video to be. And it's right. not being it. So I get mad at that, too. So it makes me more mad at the situation unfolding. Crush. Celebrity crush. Yeah, right Celebrity now. Celebrity crush. Right now. Wow. This is, you know, I always had a thing for Britney Spears. Oh, my God. <laughs> no. That's, I don't, that's well, the, no. Okay, 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 okay. Not Britney Spears. That's, that's, no, that's, no, that's, no. That's, she, she, she went the wrong way. As a kid, though, yeah. Um, when, I was young, when I was a kid. When you were a kid, she's probably the craziest she ever been. But when I was a kid, she was in her prime. You know, like toxic. Britney Spears from the Toxic Music video. That was that was prime time. Um, but you know, I always thought was severely underrated. But she's like a mom. But she's like one of those moms now that would like the fact that she's a celebrity was very famous and then kind of fell off the face of the earth. She still looks great and she is um, uh. She's handled the fame well and like gone on to live like a, be a normal mom and stuff. Who is who is it? Gwen Stefani. 
Gwen Stefani. Do you even know who Gwen Stefani is? I, have... I don't even know if she's a. She why? Why do I? I can only remember girls from like a long time ago. I've heard of Gwen. I know who Gwen Stefani is, but that one is so it's it's out of it's out of left field. Yeah, man. Well, that's the thing, though, is I feel like most of my celebrity crushes was when I was younger. And now you I are, can only now I can are, only go back to those. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're you're 25 years old, and you and you're you mean to tell me you are you're 25 years old, and there are a lot of good looking women around your age group, I mean, and you're and you're trying and you're trying to tell me right here, right now, in front of in front of 20 people that's listening to this, that your celebrity crushes a woman that's exactly time two times old, twice your age. Yeah, you know I, that's probably not the right call. I, I keep on thinking younger or like younger me what I would pick because I, I don't know. I don't think about that much because I mean, these day people, obviously there's like, there's Ariana Grande. There's, um, there's Selena Gomez. There's, um, well, what's her face? Uh, well, no, nah, I probably wouldn't pick her. Um, hmm. No, let me think. I can give you a more realistic answer. Hmm. Championship. Dude, what, 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 what's your answer? You you want this my, is such my, a tough question, man. My my audience knows knows my answer. I don't. It's 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 Ashley Graham. Come on now. Who is Ashley Graham? You've never heard of Ashley Graham. See, I don't, come, I don't know. You who come, she you, is. you come on my program, and you don't know who, who Ashley Graham is. How dare you? Come Look, on. Ashley Graham unveils her new mom bod. This lady is thir- You're gonna talk about being twice my age. Yeah, you're gonna tell me your celebrity crush is about twice your age. Eighteen times two is thirty-six, she's and she's 30, thirty-two. She's 32. <laughs> okay, well, not much different hold on, than buddy. Hold on. My point is that you, <laughs> my point is that you are like you are in your prime of adulthood. You, you're twenty. You're twenty five. She's years pregnant. Old. She used to be. She gave birth to a boy last last. Oh, okay, year, okay. Last, uh, All summer. right. The picture I pulled up though. She was no, pregnant. but she no. Well, <laughs> keep in mind you are a grown. So I'm thinking whatever woman that you would pick. You know, it's if like they my age, right? They're they're within your age. They're within your age demographic. Like you, like you can, like I put it to you this way: you two can go out with each other and it, and it be around the same age and have it like not be weird. Like she, like she, like she grew up on Full House, uh, Full House, Seinfeld, and listening to MC Hammer. Okay, MC Hammer, Full House. And uh, and uh, Saved by the Bell were not on television. I was growing up as a kid. Yeah. For Ashley yeah. Graham, that, that was the case. It, w- it wasn't for me. So that my point is that you that a lot of the, like the current good looking celebrity women that are out there today are around your age demographic. They're nowhere near my age demographic. Definitely uh, demographic. They're closer he- to yours. Once again, thanks for Professor for coming on. So I had Professor on. I had Evan Cohen on. But I thought to myself, you know what? It's time for me to go bigger. Time for me to go high. It's time for me to aim for a much, much, much bigger guest. Now, this guest had promised me all the way back in the previous November that he was going to come on. But I needed to find the right time to strike. What better time to strike than in the middle of a pandemic when you have about one or two sports on television with the NHL and the NBA? Or three, if you include baseball. His name... The great Christopher Mad Dog Russo, sports talk radio legend and sports talk radio pioneer, came on the program to talk about his love life at during his days in Jacksonville, Florida, and what his childhood was like growing up in Syosset, Long Island. Remember, uh, you know, I had um, Daryl was co-ed. There was probably eighty guys, fifty girls. Um, so I had, I remember I used to really like a girl in high school named Heidi Dexter, uh, but she liked somebody else named Fred Douglas that hurt me. 
Uh, I had a girl. I never really had a serious girlfriend in college. I know that sounds wacky, but I didn't join a fraternity. So I never had a serious, I mean, I never really had a serious girlfriend in college. I didn't really have any serious girlfriend. I, I tell you, Jai, it's a, I, I, a young, a, a serious girlfriend that I had, a first one, this is going to sound weird, was probably 1985. Really a serious girlfriend. I was 25 years of age. Uh, I was in, remember in Jacksonville, I'm all by myself. I don't have any money. Right. Uh, you know, my job there in Jacksonville is to do the morning sports, do a weekend sports talk program. I mean, I was there for a year, year and a half. It wasn't, I didn't have, there was no way there was going to be any girlfriends who would know me. Uh, but Orlando, there was, and I had a serious girlfriend there in 85. So that would have been 35 years ago. I was 25. I was in love with her and she blew me off. Uh, Denise Betts was her name. And that was in the spring of 85. That was a real serious girlfriend. Had a couple of others, too, when I got to New York. But not a lot of girlfriends for your favorite little host prior uh, to 1985 or uh, prior. You know, sports was my mistress. Make a long story short. Or, 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 <laughs> uh, or prior to um, meeting my wife there in 93. So um, I, I, you know, I had some, three or four. A uh, couple I thought maybe I'd marry, one specifically. Denise, I was still too young. I was just trying to get a career started. You got to remember, in this career, yeah, you want to be a talk show host back in my era, you know, you can't have, uh, you can't have a wife and a two-year-old travel, uh, traveling around with you when you're 25 years of age. You make no money. You're going town to town. You, you got to work constantly. I mean, you, 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 can't, you can't be feeding your family. You'll never be able, you won't be able to make it. So from that standpoint, it was it was it was hard. So you have to be able to do essentially you have to uh, you have to be very you got to be a sole you got to be a, a sole independent worker to do your thing and to be very goal oriented and obsessed with being in a career. This is a hard career, at least in my day. It's easier probably now. There's more avenues to get in. But, it, you know, when I started this 40 years ago, 35 years ago, you know, you had to find a radio station. You had to find a station that did sports talk or sports games. Uh, you know, you had to do other things besides just broadcasting. You had to sell advertising. You had to, you had to do a ton of things. It wasn't just what you think it was where you go in there and you can, uh, you, know, uh, you know, make plenty of money and have a life. Your life was being on the air and your life was starting your career. So for a long period of time there, that is exactly what I did. I, I, I was, yeah. my goal, my sole goal was to make it. That was my sole goal. Right. Now, what do you mean by blew you off? What, uh, she, what, she, she, she met you somebody, off on a date? She met or? somebody else and she dated somebody else. Sorry, a serial, a serial dater. And I remember at the Winter Park Arts Festival, um, I thought we, we were still an item. And I walked at the Winter Park Arts Festival and I saw her holding hands with somebody else. She didn't see me. I oh. saw her. That was a killer. And I was at 25 years of age. And I remember she was yeah. my board op at the radio. And, you know, she had a I bought her a cross for Christmas, I believe it was, or maybe for Valentine's Day or something. And she was wearing her cross that I got her that same afternoon that I saw her holding hands with somebody else. I grew up in Syosset, Long Island. It's a, community, it's a suburb of Manhattan, about 30, 35 miles. Um, you know, I grew up with sports. Um, you know, I didn't have any siblings, so it's almost like sports was my friend and my brother. And, uh, you know, uh, I was blessed. I didn't know that at the time, but I was blessed or have been blessed with a great memory. So that has helped me with my, with my career. Uh, only child. Uh, father was a huge Yankee fan. So I always had baseball in my blood. I didn't like the teams he liked, but he gave me a little feel of the Yankees. And baseball in the 60s, uh, you know, was a huge sport in, uh, in, uh, in New York. had two baseball teams. The Mets got great. Uh, obviously, the Yankees had their great dynasty and their great history. So it was a, uh, it was a huge deal. Uh, you know, Syosset is a very athletic community. Uh, you know, a lot of athletes have come out of Syosset. Some pros have come out of Syosset. 
uh, you know, quarterbacks have, you know, come out of Syosset High School. Uh, so my first 12 years of my life, you know, uh, going back to the 66, 67, was really dominated by sports. I mean, uh, I remember early Packer games. Uh, I was a big Green Bay Packer fan and the end of Lombardi. I was a huge San Francisco Giant fan uh, going back to 67, 68. Uh, so those two teams, I was always against the New York teams for whatever the reason. I, I rooted for the Lakers to beat the Knicks in, in May of 70, which no New York kid did at 11 years of age, and I did. Uh, but I, you know, right. uh, sports was in my blood. That's all there is to it. Um, and, you know, I had a, uh, grew up with a bunch of kids who were the same as I was. Grant Napier is the perfect example. Uh, he meant uh, one of many. Uh, you know, it was a, uh, New York had a lot of teams uh, and a lot of history. I mean, so there was just a lot going on from a sports standpoint. I went to a boarding school in upstate New York, uh, the same school my father did. Uh, that didn't seem to... Um, really have any uh, negative effect as far as my sports love is concerned. I mean, obviously, I'm in upstate New York in 1974. I can't follow sports as carefully as I can if I'm uh, living in a suburb of New York City. But, uh, and I certainly followed it. I found friends up there in Darrow School, 130 kids, small boarding school, who, uh, you know, liked sports as much as I did. I had one guy in particular who got to Darrow in 1976 by the name of Fred Leinfuss, uh, still close to this day, turned out to be the school president, went to Union College. Uh, he knew as much about sports as I did. He got there when he was 16. I was 16. So I had somebody to converse with. We used to take long walks through the Berkshires and the um, and uh, this campus is on like 25 acres. Uh, you know, take long walks in the spring and the fall talking about sports. I had that. He actually knew more about sports than I did in a lot of ways. Uh, but I, you know, I always had somebody uh, to converse with. So uh, I always knew I wanted to be a sportscaster. Uh, I always loved Marv Albert. I didn't think I was going to do a talk show. I thought I was going to be obviously a play-by-play guy. Marv Albert mm -hmm. was uh, huge. I listened to all the baseball games because I was a huge Giant fan. So I knew all the Met announcers. The, I knew Marty. I, I loved listening to Marty Brenneman. Murphy, Lindsey Nelson, and Ralph Kiner, Rizzuto, Frank Messer, Bill White. So, I mean, I, I Marv, of course, with the Knicks and the Rangers. Right. I just grew up with a uh, with with sports in my head, and I and I have the gift of the gab. My father, I I developed, I had, I got that trait from my father, uh, who had the same kind of personality that I did. I got that personality trait from him. And then when I graduated from Darrow, went to Rollins College, and I graduated from Rollins, I realized, despite the fact that I was a history major, I realized that what I wanted to do was uh, doing sports. Once again, a huge, 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 huge thank you for the great Christopher Mad Dog Russo for coming on the show. My opinion, one of the highlights of 2020 in my life, the great Chris Russo coming on and the voicemail he left me. You can go back and listen back in uh, early August, late July, I believe August the 1st, I put this in this episode when I had the great Chris Russo on and, uh, or not, not, not when I had him on, when I told the story of how he left me a voicemail the night of my graduation. A couple of months passed by, I need another YouTuber on. This time football is in full swing. Who do I call? Brandon Perna, that's good sports, back in the month of October to talk about the National Football League. Any team that, you know, loses week after week, usually there are multiple problems or issues and you can you can find it on i mean even the falcons isn't young way coup hurt this week too so like it's he missed he missed the field goal late that cost but him too, uh yeah. yeah it's there's usually issues offense defense special teams coaching it's like you know somebody's been following the broncos very closely this year that's Besides, I mean, they've been plagued by injuries as well. They have more key injuries, I feel like, than any team in the league right now. But losing almost always is a team effort. You can always find one side that might not be pulling their weight. Um, but, yeah, it's it's definitely fair to criticize, you know, Matt Ryan and the, the Falcons offense in clutch time, which – if there's like an anti-clutch sort of symbol, you could just throw that on the Falcons offense. And I think you nailed it with them, you know, not right. performing late in the games and in the fourth quarter for sure. 
Thanks again for Brandon Perna joining me back in the month of October. That's Good Sports. Check out his YouTube channel at Good or That's Good Sports and That's Good Broncos. So a couple months pass by again. I need another big time guest. Who do I call? Well, the son of a man who I had on back in the summertime in Chris Russo, who had uh, who previously, as a matter of fact, about a day or so ago, got finished hosting his own little radio show on sports on the sports talk station where his dad has met his claim to fame on WFAN. It is the great Colin Russo, one of uh, one of three of Doggy's younger sons, Colin Russo, who's my age, a college freshman came on the show to talk about the Jets beating the Raiders in that uh in that week in that week 13 week 14 fiasco him going on the radio ranting about it and what the great Chris Mad Dog Russo was like away from the microphone and amongst his family and i mean as for the the game itself cuz like i was thinking i like i said on there like i was going into it i'm like this is the game if you're the Jets the Jets i don't think have a winnable game on the rest of their schedule they have on the road, Seattle, I I cannot get behind that. But I'm like, the Raiders coming off a terrible loss. They don't have a couple players. I'm like, this is the game if you want, if you're the Jets. And thankfully, the Jets played hard. I mean, they, they're, they're, they're playing with some stones. And they're playing pretty tough defense for the entirety of the game. And then this, la- this fourth quarter comes in. And, oh, my goodness, just thinking about it, they had a couple fourth down conversions, third down conversions. Uh, they had holding penalties. Marcus May had two holding penalties on that last drive. And then they finally get all the way down to the red zone. I, it was 28-24, and I was thinking, I'm like, just get a stop. Just get us, please. I didn't, I didn't think they would. And they finally get that stop. I, it was such a dramatic ending. I, for anybody who watched it, it was a very, very dramatic game, especially if you have as much interest in it as I do. I mean, if you're a Jet fan, you want to lose. But if you're a Jags fan, you want them to win in the worst way because I, I personally want Lawrence. And uh, I want Lawrence a lot more than Fields. And – so I'm watching it. It's 28-24, and Carr doesn't convert that fourth. I mean, he does convert that fourth and three for a touchdown, but they call it an offensive and defensive holding and offset the play. So I was like, okay, okay, okay. This is this is all right. I mean, I'll, I'll deal with that. I thought it was going to be an offensive holding plane, but it was offsetting penalties. And finally, I mean, jeez. <laughs> oh, and that that they finally get that stop. They have a minute and like 30 seconds left. I'm like, just one first down. I think I believe they had two timeouts. So I just, this is it. And they quickly punt, and it was a good punt, too. And I don't know. I don't know. Greg Williams, what are you doing, dude? And he he gives up <laughs> an easy completion. I'm like, all right, yeah, you're just playing off a little bit. And then finally, it he sends house. I'm like, why? why? It doesn't make any sense to me because it's Derek Carr. They have a good offensive line. I was thinking they'd give him enough time. They have a lot of deep threats on that team. Nelson Aguilar is pretty good going deep. Henry Ruggs, obviously – is one of the fastest players in the league. He's good going deep. And Darren Waller has 200 yards. So I'm thinking, I'm like, they have threats through the air. So if you're Greg Williams, what is the problem? They had this, they were down 4-2. You have to score a touchdown to win the game. There's six seconds left. Keep every, As a defense, why don't you keep everything in front of you and focus on the tackle? I don't get it. And it's one of those things where, like, he just – I saw immediately when it happened. I saw the two linebackers come in, and I saw that last one. I guess he was spying on uh, the tight end to make sure the tight end wasn't uh, jumping out of the pocket, or he was spying car. I'm pretty sure it was the tight end. And then after he saw the tight end was blocking, he blitzed too. There was eight guys going at him, Jai. Eight. 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 Three in coverage on a horrible, <laughs> on a horrible secondary too. Lamar Jackson's in the game. He's, I mean, like, obviously, he might, he's, might be a solid player. He's playing. I don't know. You can't judge him off that play. It's not really his fault. I mean, the, the guy's four two seven. What do you what do you what do you want to do? It's one on one coverage. What do you what are you gonna do? I mean, I personally he shouldn't have bit on the double move, but I mean, I'm not gonna tell him how to play his position. And here you are, and Greg Williams sends the house, and Derek Carr made a beautiful throw. It was a beautiful throw. It really was. It was moving forward. It was right above him. He gave him space to run underneath it. It was a great throw. I can't. I can't. I can't, like, get in cars. I mean, what are you going to do? And Carr told, said after the game, he's like, oh, the second I saw the whole house is coming at me, he's like, I was happy. He was happy about it. Like, if you're a defensive play caller and you're making the opposing quarterback happy with your calls, then it, you're clearly doing something wrong. And people can talk all they want about, like, 
oh, the Jets wanted to lose purposely. Mm-hmm. He did it on purpose. Well, the guy lost his job because of it. Do you, do you think he really – the players and the coaches do not want to go 0-16. The franchise maybe does. The front office maybe does. And the fans definitely do. But the players and the coaches, it's an embarrassing thing in the NFL. There's only two other teams that went 0-16. They don't want to lose. They don't want to do that. They're not thinking that far ahead. The quarterback's not thinking that far ahead. The coaches are like, we lose our jobs if we go 0-16. They're not trying to lose on purpose. They're not trying to lose on purpose. So any sort of notion that the Jets did that purposely right. and the Jets are like, oh, let's just blow the game. It seems purposeful the way they played and the way they, they organized it, but maybe it was just incompetent coaching. I don't think it was really, oh, let's try to lose. Greg Williams didn't last enough with the job for another 24 hours. He didn't, he didn't last another 24 hours with the franchise. And Gase is a time bomb. Do you, do you think they really care about losing so they could get Trevor Lawrence for somebody else? For another coach, really? And I can't really, I can't get mm-hmm. in behind any sort of like losing purpose. I mean, sure, you could think about it and it looked on purpose, but it wasn't. <laughs> the franchise probably had a, a sigh of relief, maybe the front office and all those people. But I mean, those guys, are, you don't know if they're going to stay either. The owner probably did. I mean, they, they probably were like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take it. And but <laughs> I mean, what a disastrous, what a disastrous game. And I was so, so set on. The Jets are winning this game, and the Jags are going to get this pick because I was not worried about the Jags winning that game. I mean, I know they were competing, but, I mean, I thought the Jags were going to figure out. They Glennon, Glennon had, like, three turnovers. Oh, he was terrible. And I didn't really think they'd be able to do it. I'm like, whoever – if the Vikings get the ball in OT, I don't think the Jaguars are going to be able to stop them. But who knows? And I wasn't really thinking that far ahead. I'm thinking, let's just get this first pick because the Jags have a far worse strength to schedule, and the tiebreaker with work how it works in the draft is you have a worse strength to schedule and the same record. You're essentially losing the worst teams. So the Jaguars would have that first pick and the Jets strength to schedule. I think is like, I don't know how they do it, but it's, it's, it's a good few points, uh, percentage points ahead of the uh, higher than Jacksonville. So I mean, so they're playing harder teams and losing. So essentially they, they don't get the first pick. And I thought that was going to be it. And I, I mean, the Jags for the rest of the year, they have, they have the Titans, they have the uh, the Ravens, they have the Bears, and they have the Colts. The Bears game makes me nervous. I do think the Colts are going to be playing for uh, a seeding position or the playoffs for that matter. So I do think the Colts are going to try to play hard. And um, and the Bears, I mean, makes me nervous. But I think hopefully they'll figure out a way to lose that one. But it's one of those things where, I, as a Jags fan, some people are content with getting fields. I don't trust the Ohio State quarterback. I don't. I watched against Indiana. He was very strange against Indiana. But he's also the prototypical, uh, the the new era of the quarterback. He can move. He's not too tall. They don't really like that tall guys anymore. I mean, Herbert's a, a, a standard guy. But I'm talking about like the, the Murrays and the, the Mahomes can move around. And Russell Wilson and all those guys, they like those mid-sized guys. I mean, those guys are short. But I'm talking like the guys who can move around in the pocket, dual threat, big arm willing to stretch the field, but they usually mm-hmm. likes too, and it just adds another dimension to the offense. I'm fine with that. If we get the right play caller who knows what he's doing, I don't know if Jake Gruden can do that. Um, who's the offensive coordinator currently for the Jaguars? I'm not sure if he'll be able to draw up enough plays to get uh, fields to use his feet a little bit to maybe work it out, because I think he got enough offensive. I think they got plenty of offensive pieces. I think the Jaguars are honestly in pretty good shape offensively. I do think they're a pretty good one, and uh, they're pretty good for a one-win team. I think they... The roster-wise, they're playing hard, and they're losing close games as of late. And they're playing hard right now. So, And they're a ton of young talent. So I do think it's really the quarterback. And I, I think Lawrence – I've watched 25, 30 Lawrence games. And ever since he was a freshman. And sure, like early on in his career, he like had problems with touch and everything. But, I mean, he's the guy. And I think he's much more of a safe bet than Fields is. But, I mean, that's why I was, I was so bothered by it. People are like, why are you so bothered by it? You're still going to get one of the top three picks. I'm like – I, th- I have Lawrence a good a good head up ahead of um, Justin Fields. I think he's a good step up, and I, I mean it's very very bothersome. It ruined my day, and I went on a long walk after that game. I didn't I didn't touch the four o'clock games, and I just had to get my head right. But that was a that was a disastrous disastrous Sunday. As for like date stuff, I mean he's always whenever he sees meets a girl that he likes that like a girl that I I know that he likes, he's always berating me about it. He's like, what, what, what is this girl doing? What's that girl doing? Huh? I'm like, dad, like, take it easy. It's not like that. Just like, it's like, what's she doing tonight? What's she doing tonight? What are you, I'm, I don't, I'm, I don't know. I don't know. Jeez. Like, <laughs> just like, please take it easy. And he does that all the time. He's like, he didn't do it with my older brother. My older brother was the one who was always had the girlfriend. And he was 
uh, I mean, admittedly, probably two wrapped up in it. And so me and him are different in that regard. And but he's always like, oh, what's she doing tonight? What's she doing tonight? What's she doing tonight? What, what are you doing with her? Huh? Is anything going on? I'm like, no, no, no. Jeez, take it easy, please. Just, like, slow down. <laughs> Wait, you don't need to do this. Like, and he does that all the time. And he still does. I don't know why. He's so wrapped up in it. And I think he just does it to annoy me, honestly. But <laughs> that's yeah, like I think him. He just does yeah. it to hurt me on. But uh, he does that all the time. And as like, and when he meets him, he's usually fine, obviously. He's like a normal person. And but he always tries to um, he what he does honestly is he shows people uh, like Laurel Canyon music. He always shows people songs he likes if like we're in the car or something. And then he like he always loves to show. He's like, do you like this song? He's like, we'll teach you something about music. And I'm like, oh jeez, oh, don't do this. He does that all the time. He, does, he he turns on a song and then he gets all into it. And he's like, this is music. This is music. He's like, have you heard of the birds? Have you heard of? Crosby's fashion young. Most people say no because, like, I don't know, we're 18 years old. And most people say no. He's like, oh my God. Oh, are you kidding me? Like, one of those things. Um, <laughs> he always gets, he always quizzes people and sees how much they know about music. Some people are like, yeah, I know who the birds are. He's like, oh, really? And he's like, what about this song? I mean, you know, this song is like, it goes really, really, really gets into it. And I, I might freak some people out, but I think people know ahead of time that he's going to be like that. But I, that's what he does. He loves that. I don't know why he does it, but he loves it. Special thanks to Colin Russo for coming on. And thank you to all of my guests that joined me throughout the year 2020 on the Amatelic and TIS podcast. It's your boy, Jai Shields. Hope you enjoyed our best of interviews 2020. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the J Shield. The show on Instagram at Amatella underscore podcast. And the show on Twitter at Amatella underscore it T I S. Happy New Year, everybody. Y'all stay safe. Y'all take care. See ya.